0: So 1 Samuel, all of chapter 30, 1 Samuel, chapter 30. David and his men reached Zigzag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had uh, raided the Negev and Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party "'Will I overtake them?' "'Pursue them,' he answered. "'You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue.' David and the six hundred men with him came to the Besaw ravine, where some stayed behind, for two hundred men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and the four hundred men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David, They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, To whom do you belong and where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerethites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down and there they were were scattered over the countryside eating, drinking and revelling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men, drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. Then David came to the two hundred men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Besaw Ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. As David and his men approached, he greeted them. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However. Each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed us over to the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David arrived at Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, here is a present for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent it to those who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatia, to those in Aura, Ziphmoth, Ethmoah, Rakal and to those in the towns of the Jasmerites Je- and the Kenites, to those in Horma, Borashan, Athach, and Hebron, and to all and to those in all the other places where David and his men had roamed.
1: All right, now if I haven't met you before, I'm Rob, I'm one of the pastors. Uh, and like Liam said, I got to start us off in 1 Samuel and now I get to finish us off. Uh, and just in case I don't answer all of your questions, we will have a Q&A afterwards if I'm quick enough. Uh, and so you can text through or you can ask in real life or if you're online, uh, pop in the chat your questions. Uh, and that number will come up again when we get to question time. Um, but I want to start uh, by sharing with you a story Uh, that I actually heard uh, from a former SMBC principal. Uh, I thought it was such a good one that I've hung on to it all these years. Uh, And it's a story of a man named John. Uh, Now, John lived some time ago in the US uh, back before, uh, but not too long before World War II. Uh, Back then, people didn't really have TVs. Uh, And so if you wanted to uh, Netflix and chill, uh, the place you did that was at a library. Uh, You might have heard of one of those before. Uh, That's exactly what John did. He went to the library, he borrowed a book, uh, a book which he really enjoyed. Uh, But what he particularly enjoyed about this book uh, was not just the content, uh, but the extra stuff that he found in there. There was underlining little notes in the margin, Uh, And when he took the book back to the library, he asked the librarian about it, where where did this come from? Do you know? Uh, And the librarian said that the book once belonged to a young girl named Holly. Uh, Holly had moved interstate and she'd once owned that book. uh, And she loved it so much, she was so encouraged by it, uh, that she decided to donate it to the library so that others could enjoy it too, which is exactly what John did. Uh, John asked the librarian if he could have a forwarding address for young Holly because uh, you could back then uh, and so John began to write letters to Holly uh, and over a few years they, they really got to know each other through these letters uh, they built quite a strong connection uh, but World War II came around and John was called off to war. Uh, But before he did, he wrote to Holly and said it would really encourage me if I could have a picture of you to take with me, a photo, so I have some idea of what you look like. Uh, But Holly wrote back uh, and said that if their relationship was to develop, it wouldn't be based on what uh, one another did or didn't look like. And so she declined to send the photo. Uh, Now fast forward, eventually John comes home from war, Uh, He writes to Holly and he says, I think it's time, it's time for us to meet up, and she agreed. And so they organised a meeting place, New York Railway Station. Uh, They organised a time and place, uh, a particular spot at the station. Uh, And John asked, how will I know it's you? Uh, How will I find you? Uh, Holly said that uh, she would put on the lapel of a coat a red carnation. Uh, so look for the red carnation, and that will be me. Uh, so the time comes, uh, John heads to New York station, uh, to the spot where, where he's gonna meet Holly, uh, this girl he's been getting to know over so many years, uh, just desperate to lay eyes on her, desperate to meet her. Uh, and just as he's waiting, wondering where is she, who will she be, uh, this absolutely gorgeous blonde girl, uh, in a red dress, comes walking towards him, uh, and he's so taken by that it, that he subconsciously starts kind of moving towards her. But as he does, he realises that that this isn't Holly. There's no red carnation, uh, and so he's quite disappointed. But as she walks past, he's kind of looking suggestively at him, winking along, and and she walks right on past and and keeps glancing back over her shoulder, encouraging him to come with her. Uh, And just as all of this is happening, he he looks again the other way, uh, and he sees the red carnation coming. Here is Holly. Uh, Now now as he sees her, he realises why she didn't send that photo. She's much older than he imagined that she would be. Uh, In fact, almost old enough to be his mother. Uh, His thoughts of romance were were a little bit dashed. Just there he sees now that it simply wouldn't work. Uh, So there in front of him is Holly. Uh, Not quite what he expected, but this girl that he'd been getting to know, who'd built this strong relationship uh, over all these years, and behind him, uh, the woman in the red dress. Uh, Absolutely stunning. Uh, And he makes his decision. Uh, he turns his back on the woman in the red dress Uh, he goes to the lady says hello holly my name is john she looks up at him and and she says young man i don't know what's happening here but that blonde gave me this carnation and said if you come up to me she's waiting in the coffee shop over the road (laughs) now holly was absolutely determined that if their relationship was to last At its core, it had to have the right foundation. It couldn't be based on how she did or didn't look. It had to come from the heart. And I think as we come to our very last week in this series through 1 Samuel, uh, hopefully as we've made our way through, you've seen the reality of of what we've called this series, Heart Matters. Uh, Like Liam said, as we, we came to name this series, uh, we did what we always do and tried to copy from someone else and we looked around to, to see what other people had called their One Samuel series and, and they were all seemed to be names like In Search for a King or Finding a New Leader uh, but as we looked at those we felt that it missed something crucial that's going on in this book. That though we've seen things particularly through the lens of these two kings, uh, or, or king and future king, Saul and David, that can't stop there. We're pushed further than just assessing them. Uh, we're pushed to look at ourselves and, and to ask those same hard questions about our own hearts. And so as we come to this last week, one more time we're going to look at Saul and David. As we do, we're going to look at ourselves to ask the hard question of ourselves. Because uh, as, we, as we'll see, uh, Saul and David on the, on the surface are far closer uh, than we realize. And I think it's far too easy to trick ourselves into thinking we're on David's path when in fact uh, we're walking the road of Saul. Uh, and so here's what we're gonna do. This is how we'll make our way through. Uh, First off, we're going to look at Saul, uh, his final moments, we'll see his fall. Uh, Then we'll see how it's not so simple that both Saul and David are more complicated than it seems. Uh, Third, we'll we'll come to see David and we'll look at his heart, we'll see what separates them. Uh, And last, as we always do, we'll look to ourselves, Uh, we'll ask, what does it mean for us? And ask the hard questions of our own hearts. And before we do all that, I'm going to pray, uh, it's a, a worthwhile thing to do, to uh, ask God for his help. Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much that we can be here, we thank you for your word, we thank you for this series, through 1 Samuel. As I speak today, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to speak clearly, that you'd help me to speak your truth, uh, and that afterwards we wouldn't just be smarter sinners, but we'd be transformed by your word and your spirit uh, to be more like Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, Now, before we get too stuck into it, uh, I think it's worth just orientating ourselves for those who are new, uh, who haven't been here right through the series, or or perhaps uh, you're like me and you struggle to take it all in. And so it's worthwhile just doing a quick uh, look at where we are. Uh, So far, we've seen Israel. Uh, We we started kind of at the end of Judges where there was this uh, chaos, uh, everyone doing their own thing and there's this need for a leader. Uh, And Israel get their first king in a bloke named Saul. Uh, who's been raised up to that that status. He's got some early victories, but ultimately uh, has turned to his own way instead of following God. Uh, So God has rejected him as king, uh, though at this point he's still ruling. Uh, And meanwhile, God has found a new king in David, uh, who found fame when he defeated Goliath, uh, and so has has enraged Saul's jealousy. Uh, And so Saul has been attempting to kill David over the last few chapters. Uh, And we've seen David, fearing for his life, take off uh, into a place called Ziklag uh, in the land of the Philistines, who are Israel's enemies uh, and who are currently at war with Israel. Uh, And so last week, uh, we saw Alan uh, kind of talk us through Saul in his desperation, looking for guidance, and and, uh, with God ignoring him, he turned to a medium uh, who God had outlawed him doing. Uh, and he went to see that medium. And so that's where we pick it up. Um, And for our first point, this fall of Saul, we see the culmination of all that Saul's been doing, the culmination of this road of rejecting God. Uh, And it's fair to say it's a pretty sad end. Uh, His death, in some sense, I think is a little bit anticlimactic. We've seen it coming. Uh, We've expected it. Uh, As we read chapter 31, we're not surprised... And so as Saul and the Israelites fight the Philistines, uh, we see Israel pack up uh, and flee. Saul and his sons are chased. Uh, His sons are killed and Saul is critically injured. Uh, And then we read from verse 4 and 31. Uh, Saul said to his armour bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armour bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. Uh, It's not surprising, like I said, it's exactly what we expected to see last week. As Alan showed us, God proclaimed through what seemed to be Samuel beyond the grave, uh, these words to Saul. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And that's exactly what we see happen, isn't it? Uh, True to God's word. Uh, And I assume that you're not surprised. Uh, We've been seeing this fall unfold for a while. Uh, We saw it first uh, in chapter 13, that was the first clear moment, uh, when rather than wait for Samuel, Uh, as he knew he was supposed to Saul took it upon himself uh, to offer a fellowship offering not his job uh, and so he broke God's commands and and then again uh, in chapter 15 uh, he goes against God's clear instructions uh, to destroy the Amalekites sheep and cattle uh, and instead he keeps the best of them. Uh, From there he spirals down into his jealousy of David and attempt to kill him Uh, And finally, down to the point where last week we saw him consulting a medium uh, as he tries to figure out what to do next. Uh, And so here in this final chapter of 1 Samuel, we see where Saul ends up, handed over to his enemies, giving himself over to death. Uh, We've made our way through this series. uh, As we've made our way through this series, we've had that natural question, haven't we? Uh, We're left asking as we see these stories is whether... uh, I'm on the path of Saul. Am I walking in his direction, heading away from God, rejecting his word, or or am I on David's path uh, and pointing towards God and following his words? Uh, And in a broad sense, I think it's the right question to be asking. That's the question the book poses. Uh, It's what we should be thinking. But I also want to warn us that I think it's a little bit dangerous a question to ask uh, because it's, it's a little bit simplistic. Uh, When we caricature down to these uh, right or wrong uh, kind of images, uh, of course we jump to, well, I I must be the right one. Uh, Who here is going to put up their hand and say, yeah, I'm with Saul? That's me. That describes me. Uh, And I think it's worth us acknowledging, uh, as we realise that, that that it's actually far more complicated than the simple picture we might wind up with, uh, of right and wrong, good or bad. Uh, and we see that in our second point, that things aren't so simple. Uh, there's, there is that reality uh, in a general sense that Saul is off track and David is pointing towards God. Uh, but I think it's important to recognise uh, that those things aren't always true. David makes a lot of mistakes and Saul does a bunch of good things. Uh, you might remember just a couple of weeks ago we saw the story of David and Abigail. Uh, The short version was that Abigail's husband, a bloke named Nabal, uh, insulted David. Uh, And so David's response was to take his men uh, over towards Nabal's place, aiming to slaughter every single male in residence. And it was only in God's grace uh, in sending Abigail to calm him down and persuade him otherwise that that he stops uh, and, and doesn't go through with the slaughter. And of course, that's not the only mistake that David makes in his career. Uh, There's many, many more, a lot of which come in the next book, in 2 Samuel, Uh, the most famous being when he sleeps with another man's wife uh, and then has him killed to cover it up. See, David is not all that good. Uh, And like I said, it's fair to argue that Saul wasn't always bad. Uh, He certainly has some good moments to start with. Uh, You might remember back in chapter 11, uh, when Saul, filled with God's Spirit, united Israel together to rescue the besieged people of jabesh Gilead. Uh, in fact, if you'd read uh, all of chapter 31, you may have noticed that there's a little nod to that event. Uh, listen to these last few, chapter, few verses of the chapter. When the people of jabesh Gilead heard what the, men, what the Philistines had done to Saul, All their valiant men marched through the night to Beth-shan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Beth-shan and went to Jabesh, where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. See, to those men, Saul wasn't a villain. He was a hero. He was the one who rescued them. And I think the inclusion of this little account here, alongside Saul's death, serves to remind us that this is a little bit complicated. I think it's helpful to recognize that there's a danger in starting well. that Saul's story uh, that's Saul's story, isn't it? His kingship started quite well. There were hiccups, of course, uh, but in general, Saul started off in the right direction. But as he went, he started heading off course, uh, and over a series of bad choices ended up nowhere near where he should have been. Uh, now about 15 years ago, uh, I went on a trip to Canada, uh, I, there's me, it was really cold, that's why I look go. Uh, I spent a summer there, I worked uh, on a camp over there and it was a really great time, uh, before, but before I got to the camp I spent two weeks travelling uh, with a couple of friends, we hired a car, we drove around uh, all over the place to see the sights, uh, and we didn't have a very specific agenda. Uh, So when it came to working out where we were going to go there was some disagreement uh, amongst the three of us over our direction. Uh, So I came up with a solution when it was my turn to drive, and and brace yourself because you're either going to think I'm a genius uh, or you're going to think I'm an idiot. Uh, And I'll be able to tell by your expressions which way you're leaning. Uh, But what I did was I decided that whenever I was driving, whenever I came to a crossroads I would just always turn left. No matter where we were, what we were doing, i just always turn left. Uh, and to be fair, it did achieve what I was going for. Uh, we got to see parts of Canada that we would never have seen otherwise. <laughs> but using that approach, of course, it didn't take too long, t- didn't take too many crossroads uh, before we ended up nowhere near where we thought we were gonna be heading. That's Saul, isn't it? He started well. He started off in the right direction. Uh, But we see not too many decisions down the road. He was in a very different place uh, to where he was expecting to be. Uh, And I reckon it's worthwhile for us, uh, as we think this through, as we look at our hearts, as we do that self-examination, to ask how we're going. Are we assuming we're going okay because we started well? Or are we still chasing after Jesus decision by decision? Now, as we get to those crossroads, are we turning towards Jesus time and time again? If I ask you what it looks like for you to make decisions for Jesus, could you point to your life now? To the choices you've been making recently? Or would you have to tell me about something you you did way back in the past? If you had to give an example of being generous, uh, we'll see later on in in the passage David being generous. If you had to give an example of your own generosity, how far back would you have to look? Could you look this week, this month, this year? Or did you start well and then just start turning left somewhere along the line? Um, Now, in saying all that, uh, please don't get confused. Uh, This isn't about getting all the right choices. It's not about making more right choices than wrong. Uh, It's certainly not that if you you make enough right choices, well, then things will go okay. Uh, One of the things I find fascinating about the accounts of Saul and David is that I reckon on paper, they're not that far apart. Now, I haven't sat down and done the mass. I'm not sure that you could. But when it comes to mistakes, I think you could reasonably argue that David makes more mistakes than Saul. Yet Saul's life ends in judgment and death. And David is remembered as the king who is after God's own heart. So what's the difference? Well, it's all in the heart, isn't it? That's what we'll see as we look at our third point, David's heart. Uh, And we're gonna see that by looking to chapter 30, the one that Julie read out for us and she did such a good job. Uh, A chapter that I think in many ways shows us David at his very best. Uh, And because we're trying to cover so much ground, we're not gonna go through it all in detail. Uh, I wanna just skip through and show you three moments that come up there. Uh, The three moments that show us uh, why this chapter is such a highlight for David. Uh, as we look at his relationship with God, and we we see David's heart. Uh, I want to, as always, encourage you to get stuck into the bits that we've missed. Uh, Have a read at home, chat with someone else about it. There's such great stuff in there. Uh, It's worth getting stuck into. Uh, But for today, three moments. Uh, And the first moment uh, shows us David hanging on to God even when things get hard. Uh, So have a look at verse 3 of chapter 30. Uh, We read, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, uh, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters but David found strength in the Lord his God. And now this situation is the very definition of out of the frying pan and into the fire, isn't it? Uh, It's not enough that he's already fleeing uh, from Saul for his life, uh, but he returns to this horrible scene. Uh, And for David, it all escalates when his men's response to what's happening is to turn to bitterness, uh, to take it out on him. Uh, And so they're ready to stone him. So not only is he on the run, Uh, Not only has he lost his wives, his possessions, uh, but his men are ready to stone him, to take it out on him. And I think it's fair to assume that none of us have been in that particular situation, uh, but perhaps you have experienced a similar escalation, Uh, uh, an escalation of hard things, one terrible thing after another, uh, when they pile on top of each other and, and we're left distraught. Perhaps like David and his men, we're weeping uh, until there's no more strength left to weep. But here in this section, we see uh, an incredible picture as David clings to God in this hard time. Uh, And note that David, along with the others, weeps. Uh, He weeps until he has no strength left to weep anymore. I think it's good to recognise that a godly response in a situation like this uh, doesn't mean not feeling the pain of the situation. I think sometimes we get that idea that we can just buck up, God's in control. Uh, No, no, we can feel the weight, we can feel the sorrow. Uh, We can feel what's going on. Uh, It's no surprise that David wrote a bunch of the Psalms uh, around this time as he was on the run from Saul. Uh, And and we read them and they express grief uh, and anguish as he goes through it all. I want to encourage you to check them out. If you're in a hard time, read uh, what David went through. Uh, Let him sympathise with you. Uh, Our common theme in those psalms, as he goes through that hard time, we also see uh, what shines through, and that is his personal relationship with God. Uh, and the trust that goes along with it. Uh, Look at verse 6. David found strength in the Lord his God. Uh, David acknowledges the horrendousness of this situation. He weeps, uh, but rather than turning to bitterness like his men do, uh, rather than turning to anger, he leans into God, his God, personal. Uh, We we read when Saul is, is in mischief, he talks about Samuel's God, your God. This is David's God, my God, his God, the God who has sustained him in the past, the God who he knows loves him uh, and will deliver him. Uh, So that's our first moment. Uh, And the next wonderful moment comes in directly after when he turns to God for guidance. Uh, So look with me at verse 7. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue this raiding party, will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in your rescue, in the rescue. Uh, And so David doesn't act immediately on his impulses and instincts. He doesn't think, what what do I think is best? Uh, He lets God guide guide his next steps. Uh, He grabs the ephod, uh, a priestly garment, uh, and so probably used the urim, which was kept in the breastplate, uh, a way of determining God's will, uh, and the means God had given them to do that. Uh, and God confirms that they will succeed in rescuing their loved ones. Uh, and now the third moment I want us to pay particular attention to is when he acknowledges that it was God's victory rather than his. Uh, we see it later on in the story. Uh, remember they've run there, they've left 200 men behind who are too exhausted to continue. Uh, And they've won the victory. And then as they're coming back, they get back to these 200 men, 200 men who didn't participate in the battle. Uh, And we're told the evil men and troublemakers from his group uh, argue that those left behind men shouldn't be included in a share of the plunder. Uh, But listen to how David responds. Uh, So I'll read from verse 23. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered us into our hands and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? Uh, The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. Now, I think it would have been tempting for David to give into the men's cheering of David's victory and David's plunder uh, and to take the greedy path. But David instead recognises that all he has is the result of God's generosity to him. Uh, t- uh, for him to be anything but generous would be just completely inappropriate. Uh, it's a good lesson for us too, I think. Uh, we, don't get, uh, we don't tend to get much plunder, that's not how our lives work, uh, but it is easier Uh, for us to think of what we have as our own, I think, Uh, earned by our own sweat and effort, Uh, and so ours to do with what we please. Uh, But this is a different picture, isn't it? Uh, That what we have is the result of God's generosity, Uh, and so for us to be anything but generous is inappropriate. Uh, And so there we have three moments, Uh, and I think these three moments give us a great picture of the trust that David has in God, a trust that survives the low moments, the hard times, uh, that leans on God for strength rather than turns to anger and bitterness, a trust that seeks guidance not from his own desire or reason, but from God and a trust that gives sacrificially, uh, knowing that he only has what God has given him in the first place. Uh, And so we see this wonderful picture of David and the heart that he has for God expressed through trust. And so it's appropriate that we finish tonight by looking inwardly, turning to our own hearts, asking the hard question of ourselves, is that the kind of trust that we have too? It's a trust that is so challenging for us to hold on to, I think. Uh, hold on to through those highs and through those lows uh, in our busy lives. I think it's so easy for us to become uh, like a child in the back of a car going on holidays. Um, Now, if you didn't immediately understand what I meant when I said that, uh, I'd be really happy to lend you my kids for a long car trip so you can experience it. Uh, But a trip on holidays with the kids can be a gruelling affair. Now, in my experience, there's three big phrases that come up over and over again. Uh, The three for us are, when will we be there? I'm bored, I'm hungry. Uh, The big one, of course, is when will we be there? Uh, And the further along you get, the more they seem to doubt your answers, the less trust they seem to have uh, in the reality of getting there. Uh, The more we go, the more they want to stop, even though we're nowhere near the destination, Uh, So we end up in vain trying to convince them that it's all really worth it. When we get there, it's going to be great. They're going to love it. Uh, And it's pretty painful. In fact, it's so painful that uh, whenever we go on a long holiday now, Kirst has uh, got us locked in and uh, leaving around 4 a.m. And she does that to maximise how long the kids will sleep, to minimise the question asking. Uh, But even so, even with the early leave, uh, the end of the trip, always degenerates, Uh, and it degenerates to a point where the kids seem to lose all hope that we're actually going on holidays. Uh, They seem to think that that me and Kirst have come up with some sort of elaborate scam uh, to get them to sit still for a few hours, uh, but there's actually no holiday going on at all. Uh, And as silly as it sounds, I, I reckon we can be a lot like my kids in the back of a car. As life goes along, Uh, We find moments where it's hard to trust God, where it's hard to believe his promises, that he's in control. It's hard to believe that he really is working for our good. Uh, We get distracted by things along the way. We want to stop. We want to get out, even if just for a while. We question whether, in the end, it will all be worth it. And I want to urge us to have the kind of trust that will hold on to God, even when things get windy and long. No matter how high the high or low the low, we need to grip tightly to God. Uh, David gives a great example of what that looks like in this chapter. But as we strive for that kind of trust, we do need to remember that though we see it so clearly in David in chapter 30, he's not perfect. He's far from it. This is his shining moment. Uh, But as we've seen, he he makes mistake after mistake. He gets it wrong. I think the wonderful news of this chapter uh, is that David points to someone who didn't get it wrong. Uh, He points towards Jesus, uh, the one who was perfect, the one who in the lowest of lows clung to God and sought his direction who said, not my will, but yours, and ended up on a cross for us. Jesus, who willingly shared the plunder of his victory, the forgiveness of sins. He shared that with us, who didn't fight the battle, who didn't deserve it. See, ultimately, we can never be the person who gets it all right, but we can trust the one who did. David doesn't just show his heart in the things he gets right. He shows his heart in what he got wrong as well. I think when you boil it down, that's the biggest difference between David and Saul. It's what comes next after they fail. Time and time again, we see Saul double down on his mistakes. Uh, When Samuel shows him the error of his ways, he makes excuses. Uh, He begs not to lose his position. But he noticeably doesn't repent. But David is the opposite. When confronted by his sin, he's grieved, uh, and we see him wholeheartedly repent. Now, we started off uh, this afternoon with the story of John and Holly, uh, and Holly's absolute insistence that their relationship have the right foundations. And we need to be sure that our relationship with Jesus is the same, built not on superficial actions, Uh, not on something that started out well, but never continued. The foundation we need is a heart that follows Jesus, a heart that seeks to follow Jesus in everything, to put him first, no matter how high the high, or low the low. And of course we'll fail, we'll get it wrong, we'll take wrong turns, we'll make mistakes. And in that moment, What comes next shows our heart. What comes next uh, shows whether our heart truly is for Jesus. Will we repent? Will we turn back to him? Is that the trust that you have? Is that your heart? Because as we've seen, heart matters. I'm going to pray for each of us now uh, as we finish this talk and this series. Lord, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the one who was perfect where we're not. Uh, The one who won the victory, though we couldn't. The one who brings forgiveness when we deserve none of it. We are so thankful for him. And Lord, we pray uh, that our hope, that our Christianity, that it wouldn't be built on superficial things that it wouldn't be built on our appearance it wouldn't be built by a good-looking start but it will be built on Jesus that we would pour our trust into him that though we make mistakes we'll keep turning back to him that we keep our eyes on him and we pray that in Jesus wonderful name Amen question time Question time. Rob's up the front. I hope up you got, the front. Your, got your hard ones. Who's got a question? I'll bring the mic around. Oh, come on. I get lots of... Oh, thank you, this Alan. Is great. That's Alan. great. Alan, you don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, before my real question, the question i like to know is when Rob goes on holidays, does he keep turning left? <laughs> uh, I don't make those decisions anymore. I just do as I'm told, Alan. <laughs> So something I noticed in the passage is uh, David was pursuing the Philistines. Saul was running away from them, and he got shot in the back. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, David was pursuing uh, not the Philistines but the Amalekites at that moment. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and he was listening to God's instructions. I think that's the big difference. Uh, if God had told him to run, he should have run, uh, but he was listening.